All I really did was say hello. And yet within seconds, I was mercilessly being kicked from behind. And first it was just one, then it was two, and I spun around to see what was going on, and I saw multiple people now coming at me with that wild look in their eyes. It wasn't good. Preschool drop-off can be risky business. Especially when these kids get to know you. But I guess that's what happens. It's kind of a cause and effect thing. You say hello to a preschool boy and you can expect to get that affectionate kick in the shins. It's just the way it goes. What goes around comes around. And it's Newton's third law, right? For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. And for much of life, the, the reactions that we get, well, they're no big deal. In fact, for much of life, many are positive. You work out and you get fit. You smile at somebody and very often you're going to get a smile back. Follow the recipe and you get the expected results. Work hard and you get rewarded. And yet there are other reactions that are not so welcome. There are certain choices in life that often have negative consequences. Some of them are life-altering, and we talked about that a few weeks ago. It's simple cause and effect. And sometimes the, the reactions and actions, they're so closely tied together and happen, it's so common that simply by looking at where people are at, we can make fairly accurate assumptions as to how they got there, right? We see someone on a street corner holding up a sign asking for money, and we make assumptions. We see a young teenage girl push, pushing a stroller with an infant in it, and we make assumptions. We see someone dress a certain way and we make assumptions. We see someone using his daughter as a human shield and we make assumptions. It's so sad. In Leah's case, we don't need to make assumptions. We know how she got where she was. Genesis 29 verse 31, it tells us where she was. She was hated. Leah was hated. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Now, some will argue she wasn't actually hated, that the word really should be translated just unloved. Verse 30, the verse right before this, says that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. So she must have been loved a little bit. But I think it's fair to say that in light of all that has happened, the absence of love is, is not the only thing going on here. And this is a woman who went along with her father's scheme and made a mess of Jacob's life. She intentionally deceived him on his wedding night. And regardless of how culpable Jacob was in the whole ordeal, she was the key figure in this sordid affair. And because of her sly move, not only did he have to work for her father for another seven years, but he was stuck with her. Her and her servant girl. 
He was now unhappily married to the sister of the woman he loved. What a bitter pill that must have been to swallow. And not only was he the one injured in all of this, but his lovely bride-to-be was harmed as well. There's nothing quite like the anger we feel when someone who is precious to us has been harmed, right? It's one thing to, to take injury on yourself, but when you see someone that you love, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a child, you turn into somebody like John Rambo all of a sudden, or one of the Avengers, and you just are filled with this kind of energy that says, I have to go make things right. You hate the wrong that has been done to them. Imagine not just being, not just being related to that person who wronged the one that you loved, but being married to them. And Jacob probably did have a certain anger stored up for Leah. She deceived him. But far worse in his mind, I'll bet, was that he had, she had taken the good life that he had intended to give Rachel, her sister. I'll bet it's safe to say that for the years that followed, Leah was, she was despised by Jacob. I'll bet there were all kinds of signals that came from Jacob, the way he looked at her, the way he talked to her, maybe the way he touched her, that said loud and clear, you will never be to me what Rachel is. And the reality is, she deserved it. Just like Jacob deserved the mess that he was in, she deserved to be despised and rejected by her husband and her sister. What goes around comes around. Let's take a closer look at what came around through all of this family mess. It's not pretty. And we'll take, make a couple observations along the way. And as we circle to the end, we'll examine cause and effect a little bit more, and it's going to lead us to praise God. Verse 31 tells us that God opened Leah's womb, but he had closed Rachel. Now, this is an interesting turn of events, isn't it? In the verses that follow, we see that Leah has four children. The names that she gives each of these children, they clue us in to what was going on inside of her head. The first to be born, she called Reuben. Reuben means, look, a son. And as Leah held Reuben in her arms for the first time, she thought, maybe now Jacob will change his opinion of me. Maybe now he'll love me. Verse 32, and Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Being able to give her husband a son, that was a really big deal. It means that his line would continue. What's more, it meant that the promise that I'm certain that she was aware of, that would live on. Jacob, do you see? Do you see the value in me now? The promise continues through you. Surely Jacob would warm to her, especially since Rachel hasn't been able to give him anything. But apparently that didn't work out. We see that when she gave birth to her second son, Simeon, his name means the Lord has heard, 
We see that her relationship with Jacob, it hadn't changed at all. Look at verse 33. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Son number two. And my husband still doesn't want to have anything to do with me. I'm still hated. Well, let's go for three. She gives birth to Levi. His name means attachment. Again, she conceived and bore a son. This is verse 34 and said, Now this time, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. It seems at this point she had given up on the idea of Jacob ever really loving her. All she wants now is, is attachment. He feels bound to me. I just want him to see some value in me. I'm an important part of this family. With son number four, she just seems to have completely given up. There's no more sign of wishful thinking here Judah, her fourthborn, simply means praise. At this point, she just seems thankful that God gave her another child. Look at verse 35. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. Have you ever found yourself in the wake of bad decisions? And you came to that point where you just had no energy left to fix it. Life is what it is. You might as well get used to it and accept it as the new normal. I think Leah was there. She'd made her bed. Now she had to lie in it and just be thankful for what she had. But while Leah's children seemed to have very little effect on her husband, they had a dramatic impact on her sister wife. As Rachel looked at those cute little toddlers running around, she began to go out of her mind with jealousy. And the humiliation that she felt because she couldn't have any kids, it was more than she could take. The jealousy and humiliation, those are powerful motivators, aren't they? Powerful. They often make us do poor decisions. We've already been witness to Jacob's foolish efforts to get what he wanted. We've seen Leah's as well. Both of them had harsh consequences. Jacob not only became a man on the run, but his deceptive ways, they came back to revisit him. And, Laban and, and Leah's deception were Jacob's just desserts. He got what he deserved. And in the same way, Leah got what was coming to her. When she comes to grip with the fact that her deception earned her, her husband's seemingly uh, irrevocable, irremovable disdain. What goes around comes around. Now it was Rachel's turn. Chapter 30, verse 1. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Clearly, Rachel was de desperate. Give me children or I will die? That didn't help anything. Just made Jacob angry. 
And that's when she comes up with a plan. A plan. There was nothing original about this plan. She couldn't take any credit for it. It was a plan that her grandmother-in-law came up with years earlier. And no doubt she knew of the disastrous effects that that brought about. But it made no difference. Rachel was desperate to have a baby of her own to hold and increase her significance in her husband's eyes. And that's the way it so often goes, doesn't it? Desire gets to such a boiling point that the consequences, they don't even seem to matter to us anymore. In the heat of the moment, we'll do anything to find relief, to get satisfaction, to indulge those impulses. And that's why we have the term buyer's remorse. It's a regret that we feel after we've done something we know we shouldn't have done. Rachel tells her husband, Here's my, here's my servant girl, Bila. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant, Bila, as a wife. And Jacob went into her, and Bila conceived and bore Jacob a son. Just like his grandfather before him, Jacob neglects to refuse his wife's offer. He already had two wives. What's, what's one more? <laughs> Isn't it funny? Our, our minds, they, they justify in this way. We've made, we already made one bad decision, so we might as well go all in. I'm already outside God's will. Might as well keep going. Go big or go home, right? Was this outside of God's will? Does God care if people have more than one spouse? Well, the Bible is implicitly clear in Genesis 2.24 that marriage was designed to be monogamous. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. One plus one equals one. From the very beginning, God intended marriage to be between one man and one woman. And in the New Testament, Jesus affirms this. And not only that, but the instances we see of polygamy after Genesis 2, they're all disastrous. Remember Lamech? Lamech's relationship with his two wives, Ada and Zillah, they had brutal overtones. Abraham's taking of Hagar, that resulted in great bitterness and heartbreak. Esau's marriage to the two Hittite women, we, we read about that several weeks ago. That brought about heartache to his parents. Clearly, Jacob's union with Laban's two daughters, that's disastrous as well. And yet Rachel was undeterred. Jacob charged ahead and Bela has a son, to which Rachel responds, verse 6, then Rachel said, God has judged me. And this isn't the bad kind of judgment. She says, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. And the name Dan means judged or vindicated. There doesn't seem to be any buyer's remorse in Rachel's mind, at least not here. She believed that God had finally heard her, finally given her the justice that she deserved. 
True, she had, to, she had to go about it her own way to make it happen, but at least she finally got God to give her what she wanted. Not long after, Naphtali was born to Bela. Sweet victory. Here we go. We're catching up to Leah. Says this in verse 8. Then Rachel said, With mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and it prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. But you know the battle was far from over. Far from over. Because Leah follows suit. She says, I have a servant girl. Jacob, why don't you take her? And the score goes from four to six in Leah's favor as Gad and Asher are born. Now Jacob has four wives. What a complicated mess. Complicated, convoluted, constant jealousy, strife, envy-filled and fueled competition. It gets worse. It actually gets worse. As we read on, it comes time to harvest the wheat. And Reuben, the firstborn, Jacob's firstborn, the oldest son, look a son, remember him? He's out there. And he finds a plant known as mandrakes. Now, mandrakes, it's a Mediterranean plant that was believed to have certain natural powers to get women pregnant. You can see where this is going. Reuben brings the plant home to mom. He knows she wants to have more kids. She hasn't been able to in a while. She had to use her servant girl. Mom, mandrakes, check it out. Just what Leah needed to to aid her in solidifying her already pronounced victory in the childbearing race. And Rachel comes to her and she asks, let me have some of these mandrakes as well. Lord knows I need them. Check out what happens in verse 15. Leah says, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband. Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel says, Then he, that is Jacob, may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come into me. For I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So, she lay, so he lay with her that night. The question is, had Rachel convinced Jacob not to spend any more intimate moments with Leah? It definitely seems that way. And, and to get the mandrakes from Leah, she uses Jacob as a bargaining chip now. This is low. We dip pretty deep into the swamp to read these words. Apparently, the mandrakes were a scam. Because it's not Rachel that gets pregnant, but it's Leah. In fact, Leah has three more children. Verse 19, and Leah conceived again. And she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterward, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. The victory was decisive. 
all of Rachel's hopes and dreams must have been shattered. The mandrakes had failed her. And while Jacob had no love for her sister Leah, God was clearly blessing her. What's going on? I imagine at that point, Rachel probably just gave up. Where her sister was the lowly one in the early years, Rachel was the one who now sank to agonizing depths. Have you been there? The point of utter defeat, every hope had disappointed, every remedy had failed, all that was left was to hold up that little white flag in surrender. I think Rachel was there. And that's when God remembers her. Verse 22. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb, and she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Eventually she would have another son, and she'd name him Benjamin. But as we look at all this, we see that what goes around comes around. And that's actually a biblical idea. We reap what we sow. There are consequences to our actions. And so very often we, we see the sufferings of people around the world and we cry out, injustice! And we speak of innocent victims, but, but there's no such thing. We know from Romans 3 that none is righteous, no, not one. From, our, from the very start, each and every one of us is born guilty, and that's because the human race is tainted. It's infected by sin, and sin is passed down from one generation to another. And so there's no innocent, there's no one immune, there's no one unsullied, there's no one unstained, actually, in all of history, there has only ever been one truly innocent victim, the one who took our guilt upon himself, and that's Jesus. First Peter 2.22 says, he committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. Second Corinthians 5.21, he knew no sin. First John 3.5, in him there was no sin. But that's Jesus. That's not us. He's the only one. All the rest of us are guilty of rebellion against God. And so it should come as no surprise when we find ourselves or others experiencing suffering. We're just receiving our just desserts. What goes around comes around. It did so for Jacob. It did so for Leah. It did so for Rachel. And it does for us. We all get what we deserve. It, it comes around. In fact, the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. That's the punishment. That's the just desert that all of us deserve. And it should come as no surprise. But what should be utterly shocking is when we don't get what we deserve. That's what's so shocking about this passage this morning. And it's all over this passage. You have people who've made an utter mess of their lives, and yet you see God having mercy on them and bringing good in spite of their shame. And it's just astounding. It starts with verse 31. The Lord saw 
that Leah was hated. Why should he see? Why should he care about this woman who's made shipwreck not only of her own life, but of the lives of others? We see God's merciful intervention again and again and again. Verse 32 says, The Lord looked upon my affliction. Verse 33, the Lord has heard that I am hated. 33 again, he has given me a son also. Chapter 30, verse 6, Rachel says, God has judged me. He vindicated her. Verse uh, 17, God listened to Leah. Verse 18, Leah says, God has given me my wages. Verse 20, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Verse 22, God listened to Rachel. Verse 23, God has taken away my reproach, Rachel says. God's work is written all over this chapter, all over this passage. And as we read on in Genesis, and we'll see again and again and again, God unfolding his marvelous good plan in the midst of human mess. He's still working out that marvelous plan leading toward bringing a savior into the world. It's, it's incredible. If what goes around comes around, why should the God who created us who holds the universe in the palm of his hand, who's infinite, having no beginning and no ending, whom we've rebelled against and have offended in the most profound ways, why should he give even the slightest attention to our suffering? That is a mystery for the ages. What goes around should always come around. We should always expect to lie in the beds we make. There should never be an instance where we don't reap what we have sown. And yet because of God's great love in sending Jesus Christ, we don't get what we deserve if we've placed our trust in him. It's unbelievable. My friends, God is good. He cares for the lowly. We see that in this passage. He cares for the down and out, the one who's been humiliated. He cares for the pathetic wretch whose sorry state is all their own doing. God is good. I'll close with Isaiah 50, 57, 15. It says this. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite.